Hello, welcome to Valley Talks. My name is Sylvia Gorajek and today I'm very happy to welcome Dominik Andrzejczuk, associate at Morado Venture Partners. We're going to talk about what investors expect from founders in Silicon Valley and some tips about how to pitch to investors. Hello, Dominik. It's such a pleasure to have you here on the show today. Great to be here. In what types of companies does Morado Ventures invest and, uh, and at what stage of the company? Morado Venture Partners is a seed stage fund we primarily focus on companies in the enterprise space and SaaS, um, but the companies need to have some sort of data angle, right? So that's kind of a broad strokes example. But what I mean by that is a company that's either a data endpoint or it produces data and has that data feed itself back into the organization, right? And it does so through sophisticated algorithms, hardcore IP, mm-hmm. um, and just very hard tech in, in general because we have this view of the world that um, there's so much data out there, 80%, 90% of it being unstructured data. We really believe that the next wave of big tech companies are going to be the companies that capitalize on this very large data set and can create more efficient economies, uh, more interesting insights about the world that we don't know today. And, and at what stage? It's seed, seed investment, yes. right? So, so what range of money do you invest? So we look at, um, so kind of like institutional seed where the company already has a product, they might have some customers, um, but we write from three to 500K checks for all of our deals. Some of the deals will lead and occasionally will follow on to different deals, but kind of depends on the entrepreneur and the connection. As an associate at the venture fund, I can imagine that you're meeting with constantly meeting with uh, startup founders. Yes. How many of them do you meet every week or every month? So we get about um, per month. We look at about um, in terms of meeting with entrepreneurs, we look at about you know like fifty to hundred. Um, but actual deals that we get in because um, we can't really meet with all of them, even though we really want to. Sure. Um, we get about two hundred deals a month. So it's a lot of filtering, um, you know, a lot of due diligence on founders, um, even prior to even taking that first meeting. So right, yeah, because before you, you cannot meet with everyone that sends you an email, right? Yeah. Um, so how actually do you do this due diligence? Just whatever you find online, or do you search for, you know, like common people that you know, like network? How does it work? Yeah. So um, it could be sometimes as simple as just doing a quick Google search, if you may not have known the, the entrepreneur previously, but a lot of it has to do with um, your network recommends an entrepreneur and says, hey, you know, you should really talk to this guy. They have really interesting tech. A lot of the times it's from our own portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. And one of the founders will say, hey, listen, you know, like m- one of my good friends, you know, fellow classmate, whatever, um, he's building this product. Can you take a meeting with him? I think it's fairly interesting. So that's kind of where it starts. Um, but most of the meetings that we do take are warm introductions from somebody that we really trust. Most of the founders that, uh, that you meet with already raised money with angel um, investment, right? Typically. But some of them may have not raised money before and they also come to you. Like, what do you like to see in those startups that you meet, actually? Yeah, so um, most of the startups that we will fund um, they have gone through maybe a year, maybe a year and a half of iteration already. Um, so they're qu- 
quite, I wouldn't call them mature companies, but they've been around for long enough mm -hmm. that they've had multiple iteration cycles. And they've been on the market already. Yes, yes, they've been on the market already. Um, and they usually either got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in angel funding, or they self-funded it through, you know, maybe prior exits that they've had, you know, for the last 12 to 18 months. Um, so kind of seed has changed a little bit in the last couple of years. Um, like we're, mm -hmm. we're more of an institutional seed, um, which is not to be confused with like an angel round, right? Like if you have an idea and you haven't really built anything yet and you're kind of a first time founder, um, you should first maybe, and if you do need to get funding, go look at sort of your more traditional angel investors who will write you smaller checks. Um, and then once you've kind of developed the product, you've developed your market, you've gone through multiple iteration cycles, then it's usually a good time to come in and pitch like an institutional seed. Does it ever happen that you have to like make the meeting shorter, that you feel like this is totally not something that you want to spend more time on? Um, it, I usually try to, because usually like when you take the meeting, it's, it's something that's interesting, uh -huh. right? Um, so usually I fiddle in that whole entire hour because I do have a lot of questions prior before going into that meeting. Mm -hmm. So it rarely happens that you meet with them and it turns out like that this is a complete fail. Yeah, well, there, there have been a couple of meetings that I've been in where um, the entrepreneur actually walked out halfway through the meeting. Oh, really? Yeah, there was, um, it, it, was a, it was a gentleman from Boston. Um, I don't think that they were really kind of used to how you know, Silicon Valley VCs mm -hmm. operate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so you ask a lot of questions and sometimes they're just not <laughs> ready to dish out all of the secrets or all the whatever. And, you know, and it's like, hey, can you sign NDA? But, you know, that's not how we operate out here. Typically, VCs don't sign NDAs, but, you know. From what I know, investors don't really meet uh, founders on Mondays, right? It's like you meet them from Tuesdays to Fridays. Is that the schedule? Um, so usually, uh, a lot of VC firms have their partners' meetings on Mondays. Mm -hmm. Some of them have them Fridays. We have them Wednesdays. I see. Um, and usually, the partners' meeting starts at like nine thirty and ends somewhere around like noon. Uh -huh. um, and then that's when we go through all the deals we've seen in the last week, and we sort of just have an open conversation about it. Right, so there's a deal I really like. Then at the partners meeting on a Wednesday, we'll come in, and I actually have to pitch the company to the rest of the partnership, mm -hmm. right, and win them mm -hmm. over, um, because VCs don't look at reasons to invest in companies; they look at reasons not to invest in companies. So um, you have to make a very solid claim if you really are excited about a company, because otherwise, because that's ultimately the goal. You want to bring that company in to meet with one of the partners and then finally go through all the steps of actually executing an investment. And out of those meetings that you make, um, how many, in how many of them do you actually end up investing on average? So we'll do like on average one deal a month. Um, one out of 50 or 100 meetings that you make. Uh, so that's me personally doing like 50 to 100 meetings. Uh, oh. The rest of the team, they do their meetings, right? right? Um, so I would say, you know, kind of like as a firm, um, you know, we're, we're probably talking about 150 deals that the whole partnership has met with. Um, and we usually only invest in one, right? That's kind of like our rule of thumb. Sometimes we'll do a little bit more, sometimes we might not do any at all. Um, but we do have to pace ourselves with the amount of funds that we have, 
because even though let's say you're let's say for example you're a hundred million dollar fund right you can't go out and invest all hundred million of that in companies because you have to save half of it for follow-on investments right because you'll have let's say you do a five hundred thousand dollar investment in a company two years later that company raises a series a and you have five percent of mm -hmm. that company and you want to maintain that position so you take what's called a pro-rata right um, and that usually costs more. You have to purchase it at the Series A price and not at the Series Seed price. So all of a sudden, you're investing an additional 900K on top of that. So you want to reserve some capital, right? And have good visibility as to how much follow-on capital you're going to need. Um, so that's why you, know, you have to really pace yourself in, in terms of the investment. And at the same time, you want to learn what's going on in the market. Um, because, I mean, things change so fast. I mean, as you probably know, I mean, just seeing the amount of, you know, uh, the, the tech that comes and goes, um, being able to sort of keep your finger on the pulse and then making the right decision at the right time means that you have to kind of, you know, really distribute those decisions out over a long period of time. Um, so I think it's very important to maintain sort of a very conservative approach when it comes to investing um, because it kind of helps you to understand the market a little bit better. Is it hard to make this decision on in which, which company to invest out of all those yeah, that you meet? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult because, um, I mean, there will be weeks where it's like, wow, we saw four or five really great companies. And uh, all f we would love to invest in all five of them, but we just can't, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we have to pick one, and we have to be very, very particular as to how we select that one company, right? So, like, we have this huge sort of, well, maybe not huge, but we have this very large um, kind of laundry list of mm -hmm. qualities, right? It's kind of like a flow chart. So we first look at, you know, um, are the founders exceptional, right? Yes or no? And then that kind of goes down into its own. If it's, if it's yes, um, you know, how attractive is the market? Is the market huge? Is the market eh, kind of in the middle so-so range? Is it small? Right, and then that kind of bleeds down into, well, if it's a huge market, you know, are there any competitors? How saturated is the space? If it's a, sm a medium-sized market, you know, like is this, are we talking they're going to completely dominate this entire market with their product? Are there, so you, we really have to kind of dissect down and see where the value is potentially going to, you know, or which company is going to potentially reap the most value. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very tough, um, but we always try to maintain um, a good relationship with those entrepreneurs because it's like, hey, you can't do it this time, but mm -hmm. you know, we really respect what you're doing and you know, we want to see how we can help you guys out. Yeah, that's kind of also a standard reply, right? That goes out to founders that um, the funds decide not to invest in. Yeah. But does it really mean that you really mean what you're saying and you really want to follow up and see what's going on? Or is it in most of the cases like just a polite goodbye? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I still maintain, uh, you know, very close contact with, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that we passed on. Because um, a lot of the times they're just really good people, mm -hmm. right? And you want to maintain that friendship. And um, so, you know, there's that. But also you're, you're genuinely curious about how they, they make it out, right? Um, might be a new market. It might be something like, you know, like the virtual reality space or augmented reality and you know that's something where we're not really sure we know that there is going to be a market but we're not sure how big it is mm -hmm. so it's like yeah like you know let's stay in touch let's 
you know, like, how else can I help you? You mentioned that you look at founders, you look at the team and then at the market. So does it mean that actually founders, the, the core team, is something that needs to be there, that, you know, it needs to meet your expectations and only then you will look at, into anything else? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, we place a, a very, very um, strong importance on uh, the quality of the individual founder and then how well the founders work together. What the quality of the individual founder uh, means? Well, um, you can say, for example, if the founder has been in his particular industry vertical, let's say he's from the pharmaceutical industry, right? He's created two companies, one of which he sold for you know, 150 million. That's, in my book, that is a stellar founder, right? Because he's demonstrated already that he can execute, right? And he or she, when they move on to their next venture, will kind of already know what to do, how to hire. Um, they have a large network of engineers that they can just tap into and say, hey, I'm starting on this new project. Do you want to you know, come join me? And then they're more than happy to join this founder because the founder is, you know, usually if you can do that, if you can execute, you're incredibly inspirational, incredibly charismatic, and you have this ability that goes beyond engineering and goes beyond kind of like business management and where it's, you, you have this aura and you can actually make people do crazy things, right? Like, hey, take a pay cut, come work for me and maybe this will pan out. You know, like most people, that's insane. Mm -hmm. But they have that ability to just get people to kind of, you know, come blindly follow them on this huge vision, right? Like, these people are visionaries. And you can usually pick that up in the meeting as to how big and how passionate and how like... Um, how multi-dimensional they, th they think. Um, and that's a very important quality. And you can kind of pick that up within the first 15 minutes because you'll just be sitting there and you'll be like, wow, like, I believe it. You know, I, I totally get it, right? It's often about the energy and the aura, right? Not may maybe that much of like reasonable thinking, at least at the beginning. Yeah. So that you can judge whether you want to um, look closer. Yeah, because you think, you know, like how is how you try to predict how is how is this person going to deal with employees how is this person going to deal with making very difficult decisions um, how are they going to operate under pressure because um, it's no picnic to be an entrepreneur i know it sounds very glamorous kind of on the outside but it's a very dark lonely gloomy job sometimes when you know things get tough so most of the cases right most of the cases yeah and uh so yeah i mean you you, you got you need to sort of pick up on whether or not that person can actually execute and can actually handle mm -hmm. the pressure. What about those very young people, um, talents, and you know, they are during their university and they come up with an idea for something, you know, for maybe another social network or something, something disruptive in like communication. Mm -hmm. Do they have a chance anymore? Oh, Be totally. Because maybe it was easier a little earlier on, right? When this yeah. was all so new, but how about now? So here's the interesting thing that I feel like, so in kind of the context of social, maybe media, um, we're seeing a lot of, so like millennials, for example, um, like I look at some companies that are doing interesting things and targeting millennials, because millennials compared to sort of like, you know, 30 and up, um, that demographic, very different. Mm -hmm. They have weird behaviors that we can't like take, you know, oh, we have a lot of data about, you know, Gen X or Gen Y, 
let's try and take that data and use it on millennials doesn't really work, right? Like, there's, like Snapchat is a perfect example. It's just everybody thought, well, now Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, they already have their presence. There's no way that another player can come in and eat their lunch. Well, along comes Snapchat. They tap into a behavior that, you know, maybe our parents would never understand. Maybe even you and I wouldn't understand. But for some reason, they, had, they, they found something unique. So the thing about social media is that it seems like it's kind of generational, right? Because you don't want to be on the same network that your mom is on, mm -hmm. right? Because that's just totally not mm -hmm. cool. Um, so what they do have is this interesting insight into how their generation acts and how their generation consumes content and how their generation communicates. And uh, I think there's still a lot of opportunity there. And we'll see these kind of like trends that recycle. Um, I think that's also why you know you have your Facebooks of the world that are buying up these companies because they just don't have that kind of intellectual firepower under their hood. So they go and they pick up other companies that have that kind of intellectual property. How about spouses? Um, is it any special category for you to when you know the spouses are founders? Mm -hmm. How do you approach that? Um, well, so it's, it's not something that I would consider to be an advantage. Mm -hmm. um, it's something to be careful about because, um, I mean, I'm sure there's anecdotal pieces of evidence that say spouses are great founders and they work great together, right? Which is, can certainly be the case. Um, but the thing is, is like your, your founder, your co-founder kind of is your spouse anyway, but sort of this non-romantic spouse that has yeah. different qualities. I mean, you probably spend more time with your co-founder than you do your spouse. So when you come home and you kind of bring home all of your kind of issues and troubles from work, right? And it's a constant, because you need to get away from, mm -hmm. sometimes you need to get away from your spouse, your significant other, sometimes you need to get away from your co-founder and you need to have, it's good to have that extra support system to kind of have a neutral third party, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you don't have that, depending on how you are as a person, and again, this is person to person basis, um, it may or may not be of an advantage, but it, me personally, I don't think that it's necessarily a good thing for spouses to found, to go found a you know big tech company. Mm -hmm. Could it be a reason that some everything else looks good for you and you like it and because they are spouses you kind of would pass on it? Yeah, um, I mean I've actually I've I've met with companies where um, you know I go into the meeting. Uh, it's a male founder, female founder, but you know different last names, so you wouldn't be able to tell that they were, you know, husband and wife or mm -hmm. significant other or whatever. Um, and I, I've met companies where the the two founders who were, you know, husband and wife, never actually communicated that, and then you kind of find out mm -hmm. sort of behind the scenes, and you can kind of you kind of could figure it out by just body language mm -hmm. that they were kind of significant others. Um, That's what happened on one of those meetings? Yeah, you know, because somebody will say something or step out of line and you can kind of just see by the body language that, you know, either either the guy or the girl just kind of, you know, you, you pick up on these things. I don't think people realize how much body language they're conveying, um, but we, we notice those things. Mm -hmm. And 
if we don't know what it is, it's like, eh, something was kind of sketchy, fishy, I don't know. But then we can always figure it out through back channels, yeah. right? Because it's a really small yeah, community. Yeah, but if they hide it from the very beginning, that's also like a red light, right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, you, it's not worth it. <laughs> honesty is always the best policy because it'll creep its head up eventually, right? There's nothing harder than to uh, keep a secret because uh, that's a very hev heavy burden to bear. Let's talk about pitching for a second. Um, what do you pay attention to when, when, they, when they pitch to you at the meeting? Definitely, you know, you, you, the founder's got to have a lot of energy, right? Mm -hmm. He's got to be super passionate about it because he's got to, he or she has to then inspire others, right? So we really look at that because um, sometimes the And this you cannot fake, right? No, Actually. it's very difficult to fake. Yeah. It's very, and you can tell when somebody's faking it mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. uh, which again is a huge turnoff. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of sort of analysis of body language, analysis of, um, you know, you can t sense if somebody's nervous and why are they nervous and kind of like, you know, so a lot of the questions that you may ask kind of lead more into, um, you know, what's the psychological response going to be to this? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of like analyze that. Um, so yeah, a lot of kind of unspoken, nonverbal types of communication that we will try to pick up on to sense, you know, well, do they really have 500 customers? You know, like, are they POCs? How likely will they convert into mm -hmm. fully paying customers? You know, because you kind of want to weed that out a little bit. Because obviously, everybody will always over oversell themselves. So you have to take that, you know, you have to take that into mind and kind of take everything that they say with a grain of salt. Dominique, was there actually any funny situation at your uh, pitch meeting that you remember? Yeah, there was um, there was a couple. Uh, so about a year ago, we had a, uh, a robotics founder, a very smart guy. Um, he was in his chair, and I don't really know how he did it, but he kind of fell out of his chair, but like fell forward onto the <laughs> ground and just made a really loud, <laughs> really loud shake. Um, there was that. There's been so why 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 did he did he fall? Do you do you know? I don't know. I mean, he okay. said he was okay, All right. and I was laughing really hard on the okay. inside and trying not to show that I was laughing. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, the thing is, is like he may have been very embarrassed, but I, I didn't like think anything less of him. Yeah. It was actually good kind of like fodder yeah, for the right? meeting. He sticks in your mind, so yeah. Yeah, and he good. rolled with it really well too. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, we also have in our uh, Palo Alto office, we have these big kind of um, glass sliding doors. And um, sometimes it's kind of difficult to understand that this is a door, right? Because it's just glass, it's floor to ceiling. And we'll, we'll have founders just like walk right into the door. <laughs> like sometimes they'll walk into it and they'll kind of know before they hit it so they slow down a little bit. But other times they just like wow. running start into the, into the door yeah. and it sounds like a bomb goes off because it shakes right, the whole building. Yeah. Did you put some stickers on it since then? We, we did, but... For some reason, I think it's just nerves. Yeah. Right. Like they're they're nervous. They're thinking about it. Well, it means the time. doors is clean, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you actually hate during those meetings that founders often do? The one thing though, that I, I think I would say is sort of like uh, you know, if you're gonna put in the effort, then at least have somebody like design your deck, so uh -huh. that it doesn't look like plain exactly. Microsoft Word, you know, or like put some thought into like the little things because those those things count. 
Um, especially if you send a deck to you know, my email address and you put no thought into the design, then you know, those, those get looked at pretty quickly and it's just sort of like, you know, it's very boring. Yeah. Do you like videos or multimedia in the, in the pitch deck actually? Love videos. Yeah. Um, because mm. video, I can just sit back and watch. Um, the videos also do a much better job at illustrating the problem um, as well as illustrating the solution. And uh, they're just entertaining, right? Like, we like to be entertained. And even during a pitch, right, you can bring in a video. It's great because then I'm watching the video, I'm more engaged. Because sometimes if you're not as entertaining or engaging or, you know, eloquent or charismatic, then, yeah, like, you know, we've been looking at pitches all day. It's been a long day. Um, so it's always good to sort of look at that. How can you make it a little bit more entertaining to grab my attention, right? How soon within the meeting do you usually know that this is a company that you will want to recommend um, to your um, partners in the fund, right? How, mm -hmm. Do you usually know it during the meeting or do you usually have to go through the whole meeting and then maybe think about this? Uh, you usually have to go, for the most part, have to go through the whole meeting and then do a little bit more research on my mm -hmm. end, right? Because sometimes it'll be, you know, like kind of a new market or uh, I may not have seen anything that was similar to that. So, you know, before I go out and pitch it to my partnership, um, I need to make sure that I actually know what I'm talking about, right? Because the last thing I want to do is then go in and say, hey, they I found this great company, and then they say... They're well, nice, and that's all, right? Yeah, yeah. or, yeah, did, don't you know that so-and-so got acquired <laughs> last year or two years ago? So you want to make sure that yeah. you do your homework. When uh, founders come to Silicon Valley, they, for the first time, they don't have a network yet. Mm -hmm. um, they often have a product, have a company operating, uh, say, in a different country or a different state mm -hmm. in America. Um, what would you recommend for them to do in order to, you know, during, during those couple of weeks when they, when they are here, yeah. uh, so that they really use it the best possible way and that would lead to meeting investors? Um, well, the good thing is, is, is you know, it's a, this is a small neighborhood, right? San Francisco, seven by seven, plus you got the peninsula with Palo Alto. So there's lots and lots of meetups you can go to. Kind of like lowest hanging fruit, if you're here by yourself, just open up the meetup app and just go to a bunch of meetups, right? Um, meetups, demo days, um, just go anywhere you can and then just start meeting people, get your, get your face in front of people. What's the one general advice um, that you would give to founders so that it would raise the, their chances to getting funded? Like I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. um, kind of one of the things that a lot of founders will do out here in the Valley, especially if they've been out here for long enough, is they kind of identify like a cool piece of technology that they want to build, they think it's a great idea, um, they spend a year building it, bootstrapping it, and then they kind of go out and look for a market, right? And then Typically, they won't find a market, right? It just won't stick. Um, one of the things I try to tell uh, you know, founders and, and colleagues is the best approach to running a successful business is sort of kind of go out and find the problem first. And instead of building software on that problem, um, use a pen and paper, right? Use Google Docs and try to create your own workflow and do so in a kind of non-automated, traditional kind of way. Mm -hmm. And then once you start getting customers and once you start building interest and you know, your, your, your funnel starts to get 
bigger and bigger. And then once you can no longer sustain this model where you're running around with a notebook and pen, um, then you build software on top of that. And then you figure out how to build out that idea and scale it up with technology. Right. Because sometimes a couple of customers that are very loyal are better than you know, 100 to 200 customers where you have a high churn rate, right? So demonstrating on maybe a smaller scale that you have sticky customers that come back that are ordering your product over and over again repeatedly is a very strong case to say, okay, there could be a big market here, right? So that's really what we're looking for. Dominique, I wish you the best meetings every day so that you have uh, the biggest problem of <laughs> who to choose from. Uh, but I, I feel like this is the problem that you want, right? And yes. that's, uh, that's something that Good you're Good problems looking, to have. Right? How can other people, viewers of the talk show, actually find you or find um, about Murata Ventures? Uh, they can go to our website, muradaventures.com, check out our portfolio, see what's in our portfolio. And, you know, if they think that their company aligns with our investment thesis, they should just reach out to me. Dom at MuratoVentures.com. All right, Dominique, thank you so much. Thank you.